Okay, a question for you while we're just getting our technical things. Oh, well, there we go. The question's up there. Question for you. The other day, I was sitting um, in, in somebody's house, and um, I was asked this question. What does God think about you? It took me quite a long time to come up with an answer, but I don't actually think I did answer it. I'd like you to think about that question for the moment. What does God think about you? I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes to, to think about it. So I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. What does God think about you? Anyone find that a bit of a tricky question? Easy to answer. Easy to answer. So he doesn't say, what do your friends think about you? He doesn't say, what does your brother think about you? He doesn't say, what your spouse thinks about you? He doesn't say, what does your child think about you? He says, what does God think about you? If it feels like a tough question, maybe you're putting too much emphasis on what other people think. Zoe came to me just before the, uh, just before the, 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 uh, this time, this teaching time. She said that she felt God wanted to remind us that God wants us to be who he has made us to be. My challenge in life is to truly be Neil, not to truly be Nathan. Praise God, says Nathan. <laughs> There's just no way I could ever do it. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Last week, John was reminding us that what God has given, no one can take away. You know, it says in Proverbs that every word of God proves true. Now, that word prove doesn't just mean you get some kind of mathematical formula and you write at the bottom, it has been shown. What it actually means is God tests it out. The word for prove, being approved, or the word for proving is something that God tests. Like silver, he's testing us. And And that proves his word to be true. So what God has said about you is what you actually will become. Okay, let's, uh, are we, are we, am I ready to press my buttons? Hey, so when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Um, <coughs> self-portrait. It's quite good, isn't it? I don't know, there's this cartoon on television that copied my drawings. I don't know, I don't know where they got them from. You see, when we look in the mirror, uh, what we can see can be distorted. Our own view can be all mixed up. Um, We need to listen to others, but they can get it wrong too. God knows who I am, and it's probably not what you see today. We can place too much emphasis on what others think. Um, That phrase, the phrase that we use to describe that, is the fear of man. Um, I have an app on my phone. That's because I'm very young and sophisticated. So on the app on my phone, every every day I get a Bible verse, which I sometimes look at and sometimes don't. And um, the other day, uh, this little Bible verse 
popped up. Galatians 1.10. which says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Okay, I thought as I read that. What about at work? Who am I trying to please there? How much importance, how much significance am I putting on my next appraisal? How much am I thinking about what others, how others see me? And how much am I actually able to say, no, what, I'm, what my target is, what my goal is, is to actually please the one who pays my salary, which isn't the head of Bancroft School, despite the fact she thinks it is, as I have explained to her quite recently. It's, it's, it's not her money, uh, and it's not mine when I get it. There's a transaction that takes place that God has directed. You see, the Galatians were going along fine in their faith. They got a good idea uh, about what they needed to do. And then along came this group of people that started telling them they needed to do other things to please, to keep up the traditions of their old way. And um, this is a pretty stark warning. You see, if I'm trying to please men, I'm not a very good servant of Christ. That's what it says. No. Um, if, I, if I'm trying to please men, then sometimes I get it right. That's not what it says. If I'm trying to please men, I, I cannot be a servant of Christ. Now, as I read that on my phone on the way to work, as I was driving through the traffic and thinking about the fact that I shouldn't be using my mobile phone while driving, I was quite distracted. I was quite distracted because I thought to myself, that is pretty sharp. So, brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning a strong word of encouragement. Who are you trying to please? Because if you don't know that your life is pleasing God, so when you're asked that other question, what does God think about you? And you say, well, I don't know. I think I'm doing a good job. I think I'm trying to do my best. I think I'm doing all right, actually. Actually, We've got our perspective wrong. The Xeroth law of pleasing God, of serving God, is to please him, you know? It's to, to, to aim to please him. So these are times when we need to know God's mind so we can make it our goal to please him whenever, wherever we are, and whoever we're with. You see, we have two approaches. We can be fearful or we can trust um, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's that word again that we had at the beginning. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. See, actually, what God has said is that the Lord has been on our side and the snare has been broken. That thing that would have kept us chained down, constrained like a bird with this kind of metal thing around its legs, so we can flap as much as we like, but we can't actually get off the ground. That thing has been broken, so that now he's made us to fly. He's made us to fly. He's made us to be like him. See, trust in the Lord in all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You see, we either trust or we fear. And that's the choice we have. 
And this morning I want to look at a particular situation where people were faced with an impossible situation. And I want to see how they responded to that impossible situation. See, we don't, we don't speak, I don't speak to you this morning as someone who's been approved by men, but actually, Paul puts it like this. We speak as men as those approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men who test our heart. That's what Paul writes about in Thessalonians. Paul is able to write that because God has been testing his heart in hardship, in prison, in beatings. What is it that God's been testing your heart with? Whatever it is, he's done it so that we can know we're approved by him. Because he wants us to know that it's all about pleasing him. So here's a little story I want to tell you. I want to tell you a story, like uh, Mr. Bygraves used to say. No, you don't know who that is, do you? He used to live near me. That's about 100 years ago. Right. Yeah, I don't think it was in New Testament times, though. Anyway, um, we're going to look at the story that you find in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 52, and I've got some pictures so we don't nod off. But I'm not going to pause every now and then to make some useful points, I hope, and probably some that aren't very useful, but I'm going to make some points as we go through. So the disciples, it says, they returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, did you know they had ministry tours in the, in the Gospels? When Jesus sent out his followers, he sent them out to do the things that he had been doing with the authority that he had been carrying. He sent them out to go and heal the sick and uh, to preach the Gospel. And they went and they did that. And it's at this point when they've gone out and they've done all these things and they have seen people healed and they've seen all these miraculous signs that's where we pick up the story. They've come back, and they're a bit tired. So um, he told, they told him all they'd done and what they'd taught. And when Jesus said, then Jesus said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by a boat for a quieter spot. You know, there are times in your life when Jesus says to you, Let's get away from the crowds for a while and take a rest. It's okay. It's okay when God says that, to do it. Because our goal is not to please men, but to please God. So when he says that to us, we need to be prepared to say, I know there's all these people here, but I need to do what he said to please my father. And it's important to rest even when we're with Jesus. So, but the trouble is, people saw them leaving and they ran ahead to the shore and they met them as they landed. Now, there was a huge crowd there uh, as they stepped from the boat and Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had gone to get away from it all, but when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. The opening to this miracle that we're going to look at this morning, the, the doorway into it, was when he had compassion. If we want to see the miraculous in the everyday, 
If we want to see more of the healings that we've seen, we have to have more compassion. And we get compassion from the one who had compassion on the crowds here. We get compassion from Christ. Now, he had a fixed plan of what he was going to do, but he had to set that aside because of what happened. Another story, that, another thing that jumped out to me in this story is we have to have the ability to flex. We need God's help to find solitary time and rest, but we also need to be able to flex. So if I've decided tonight is my night in, but something comes up, I have to be willing to go to do what God is calling me to do and not to stick at my diary, not to be ruled by my diary. Nothing upsets God's heart more than seeing the sheep without a shepherd. We might not always like what the shepherd says, but actually God wants his sheep to have a shepherd because otherwise they're harassed and helpless. And God has put people amongst us to be those that care for us. That's actually you guys. All of us are to be one another's brother's keepers. And although we may not like what people say to us all the time in this community, we might like to choose the things that we have to listen to and the things that we can reject. God has put us in a body that cares for us so that we can actually have that input and receive that input to change. So he didn't change his plans here to please the people. He did it to please God because he saw something that was very close to, his, to God's heart, which was the sheep without the shepherd. So Jesus sat down with them and began to teach them many things. Now here's a funny thing. I would say this, wouldn't I? But what does he choose to do as his number one priority when he's chosen not to have a rest? He chooses to teach them. He doesn't choose to heal them. He might have done that in other occasions. But what he's doing here is he chooses to teach. Because teaching, the teaching that Jesus gives, releases the Holy Spirit and releases faith. It changes hearts and turns lives around. Jesus spent time to teach, and but well, we need to do that too. And one of the reasons why we have groups is so that we can chew over what God's been saying to us, so that we can actually get to grips with what God is saying and not just leave it as something that we might listen to in, a kind of, in the way that we might hear Radio 4 when we're driving along the road in our cars, if you're of that generation. Or you might hear the gist jockey on the radio between the songs as you're not really listening, but occasionally catching up a tidbit of something. That's not how God wants us to be with his teaching. As we listen to him, we need to, to, we need to learn and change. So, here's a funny thing, but people see Jesus in us, but they'll only know the truth when they hear it. When they hear it for themselves. People see Jesus in us. We can get to know them in our places of work. We can get to know them in, in, as our neighbors and as our friends. But it's the word of faith that comes from hearing that actually releases 
people to that life of relationship. So at some point, we need to teach those that are harassed and helpless. We can't just leave them or stick them up with plaster. We actually need to bring God's word. So late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and said, it's getting late. Well, it's kind of stating the obvious. So send, send the crowds away so they can get to go to the nearby villages and farms and buy themselves some food. But Jesus said, um, you feed them. Right, okay. Now here we come to the crux of the matter. Jesus is asking them to do something they have no means to do. Okay? Um, isn't it frustrating when you get asked to do something that you can't do? A- anyone ever been asked to do something they can't do? Oh, nobody, uh, just me. Okay. All right, there are times in our lives when we feel that we need to do something, but we know that we can't. Why can't we? Well, if you're going to feed people, you need to have some food, Jesus. There's all these people here, and we have nothing. We've got no money, because we've left all our jobs behind. How on earth do you expect us to feed all these people? Have you even thought about the practicalities? I mean, distributing food to 5,000 people, how are we going to do it? I mean, we need structure, we need organization, we need to have a plan, we need to have a policy. We need to have a way of making sure this is done fairly, because otherwise it won't get, there'll be some people that get lots, some people don't get any. And as I said, if you remember, right in the very first place, we have no food, so what are we going to do about it? See, Philip says, with what? It would take a small fortune to buy food for all these people. How much food do you have, says Jesus? Right? Sometimes when we're faced with something impossible, that's a very important question to ask. So what exactly do you think you could do? This is an impossible thing. What do you think, God says, you could do? How much food do you have? Sometimes we've got a lot less than we'd like. Um, we're looking in the kitty and we're thinking, well, I know that I, I want to give this in this situation, but actually, if I do that, then I'm not going to be able to use this money for what I planned for it. Planned it for. Planned, yes, you know what I mean. Yeah, what, I've ex- what I've already decided I'm going to do with it. But I'm feeling, again, remembering that it's God that we're pleasing, not other people. We're not seeing a need and giving to it, we're actually hearing God say, hey, you know, I think you should be giving to this situation. So we're picking that up, and we're saying, right, okay, uh, I need to do that. But if I do that, well, uh, I won't be able to do this other plan that I have. And anyway, that's not what they need. They need a lot more than that. I don't want to do it this way. I might fail. I need more. I can't start from here. Anyway, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, sees something which nobody else has seen. And he says, you know what? There's there's a boy over here, and he's got five barley loaves and two fish. But actually, what good is that with this large crowd? Now, actually, he, he kind of has... He's kind of had a good role, and he's had a bad role, because he actually hasn't quite got the idea yet. 
But he is key because he sees something that no one else sees. And he brings that, that provision into the open so breakthrough can happen. And so then God says, or Jesus says, tell the boy to bring me the loaves and the fish. And he says, so now he starts to give them a strategy. Have the people sit down in groups of about 50 each. See, what we have to hand is often what God wants us to use. We can miss it because we've decided, already planned something. But God then gives a very precise instruction. Now, as you you may know what happens next, I'm I'm just saying I believe that God is stirring something in this story. Now, you may have come across this before. You may be thinking, this is a miraculous story. I've never read this before. It's a good book, Mark. Have a look. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave it to the disciples to pass out to all the people. The boy gave up his lunch. Hello? The boy gave up what he'd already been taken, what he'd already allocated. He'd actually gone there. You can imagine that the, the, you know, the super mum of the time has sent him out with his packed lunch so that he's not going to go hungry when he's listening to Jesus. Can you imagine the story that he was going to have to tell his mum when he got home, when she says, did you have enough to eat? And he says, well, actually, I gave my lunch so that it fed 5,000 people. It's not, it's not necessarily going to go down terribly well. Five loaves. Now, you see, we, there's another problem we have. If I want five loaves of bread, I go to a big shop, I walk down an aisle, I pick them up, the loaves of bread, I put them in my basket, I walk through a cash desk, and I... And I just walk out of the shop with them. Well, I probably pay at some point, but I, I can just walk out of the shop. There is not a shortage of food here. Those five loaves were probably the product of grinding in the home, probably the product of harvesting, grinding, kneading, leaving to rise, baking. A whole process had gone into making those loaves of bread. And he's there. He's had someone who's cared for him enough to make sure that all that labor has gone into his packed lunch. And now he's got to give it up. Well, he hasn't got to. He actually offers it. Those loaves and fishes represent an investment of time and effort that's much more than five loaves and fish today. They represent an enormous amount of of effort. So when Jesus takes them and he gives thanks, there is a real thing he's giving thanks for. There has been labor that's gone into it. Now, you know, he wasn't the first person to do this. In 2 Kings 4, there's a, there's, there's a story recorded um, where Elisha feeds a, a crowd. And if you want to look at it later, it's 2, 2 Kings 4.42. And um, where Jesus fed 5,000... In this story, Elisha fed 100 people. But he still fed 100 people with 20 loaves of barley bread. So it's not quite the same scale, is it, really? But he still did pretty well, I reckon. And uh, if I just read you the conclusion, I mean, the, the guys say, how can we set this food before 100 men? But Elisha answers, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. And he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over, according to the word of God. 
Jesus broke what they had. He got them to share it out. There was enough. When it feels like there isn't enough, what there is needs to be broken so that God can multiply it. When it feels like there isn't enough, what there is needs to be broken so that God can multiply it. We need to let go of what we've got, even when, we, when it's costly and we can't see an alternative supply. But, of course, we know the next thing is that they all ate and they were full. And uh, he says, gather up the leftovers. And they had 12 basketfuls. Now, if you've been at a prayer meeting recently, I'm, I'm quite captivated by this. So they start off with these five loaves and however many fish it is in the different stories, it's different numbers. But as they, the two fish here, as they've done this, they have 12 basketfuls left over. Now, I don't know how big a basket is. Imagine a basket, okay, and multiply it, because it's probably a big thing, right? This is a big basket, and they've got these 12 basketfuls left over, far more than they ever had in the first place. I believe God's speaking to us about multiplying resource. I believe that God's speaking to us about taking something which we think is not enough, and as we lay it down, God's multiplying it. And as we break it to supply others, we will find we have 12 basketfuls left over. For too long, some of us have been living in a place where we've just about had enough. And some of us have just about had enough. God's bringing us to a large place. There will be 12 basketfuls left over. What would the 12 basketfuls look like for you? When God does your miracle, what would that be? Five thousand people were fed by one boy's lunch. What's he going to do with you? Now I want to stick with this story because it actually is amazing when you read Gospels how stories that you've been taught, uh, maybe in kids' work or in other places, Sunday school, whatever, how you've learned them as separate packets. But God sometimes wants us to remind us of the continuous tale that has been unfolding. So immediately after this event, which is where the disciples have seen something come from nothing. I mean, let's, let's not mess about. This is seriously wrong scientifically. You know, I mean, I, I speak to you as an advised science teacher. If you have atoms, you can't make more atoms than what you've got unless something very special happens. And if you've got a loaf of bread and you break it in half, you've got half, two halves of a loaf of bread. That is not enough. But God's showing us that his ways are not our ways. So they fed the people. Now remember, we've got in mind that we need to have some rest because they've been out doing all their things and frankly, they, they could do with a nap. So Jesus says, look, it is time for you guys to go away. And he insists that his disciples get into the boat and head across the other side to Bethesda. And he sends them away. Now, he's not doing this to please the people. 
I expect the people really wanted the disciples to stay around, actually. Could do with a bit more food. And, and I reckon that, that um, the disciples probably didn't want to miss out because that was a fairly good show, actually, you just put on there, Jesus. I quite like to stay around while people love you. But no, you go away. I'm going to finish up with the crowd. And Jesus sends the people away. So he's doing this because this is what the Father said. But hang on a minute, Jesus. So the disciples are going over there. You're supposed to be with the disciples. Now you're here on this side of the lake. They're over there. So actually, you can't do what God told you to do, which is to look after those disciples. He doesn't let that actually get in the way of what he needs to do at that point. He doesn't need to engage that part of his brain. At that point, he's going to be he needs to meet with the Father. So he goes up onto the mountainside to pray. And um, by evening, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, the boat had sailed a great distance from the land. So there we go. There's the problem. You see, Jesus, I told you we're going to have a problem. If you go up on the mountainside and they go in the boat, you're not going to be in the right place because God wants you to be with the disciples. Actually, God needed, wanted Jesus to go and meet with him. And there are times when we need to do that. Remember, that's where we started. So there he is out. There they are out on the land, out from the land. And um, what happens is, as you may remember, there's this big storm and um, Jesus is alone on the land. So what use can he be? Well, um, he saw they were in serious trouble. And late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land, and he saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And the sea became, uh, I think this is artist license here, but the sea became so rough, the disciples were becoming seasick. It doesn't actually say that bit in the Bible, but I imagine that would be the case. They'd only done what he told them, uh, and they were getting into a lot of bother. You know, there are times when you're doing what God wants you to do, and... Um, And you actually get into a lot of bother. The boat starts thrashing around. Sometimes we've got it wrong. Sometimes we set off on the wrong course. Um, I was thinking about mistakes. Uh, The man who never made a mistake, never did anything. You know that, don't you? This is another one that appealed to me. All men make mistakes, but married men find find out about them sooner. Yeah, I don't know where that one came from. That was just, uh, yeah, just obviously, that's the word of the Lord. Okay, Uh, so about three in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Uh, Right, okay, so here we go. So now we see that there was a way around this problem of him being separated from the disciples that you or I just wouldn't have thought of. Sometimes when when we can't work out the answer, it's because God's got a miracle in mind. There's something else that's going to happen that's going to make it possible and make it work. So it's about three o'clock in the morning. And, um, oh dear, my notes have all gone muddled. Never mind, I'll just keep going on this. So um, when they saw him coming towards them, they were afraid because they thought it was a ghost. Uh, And they were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Uh, Take courage, I'm here. 
Just one moment. Dear, dear. Dear, dear. Dear, dear. Here we go. That's all right. It's all right. Just, just don't. Oh, good. Excellent. So, what did he do? Um, he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Right, just, just here's a funny thing. Uh, they were completely amazed. Right, well, you'd think he would be completely amazed. I mean, he'd just be walking on the water and all of that. For they had not understood, it says here, about the loaves. Now, I was talking some things over um, for Doulos notes this week with uh, Lisa, and she, this was one of the things that she said had always fascinated her about this story, and it is, it is a fascinating thing. They were amazed because, the writer says, they hadn't understood about the loaves. Jesus had just been walking on the water, okay? So, so if, if it were me, I don't think it would still be the bread that I was thinking about. I think I would be thinking about Jesus' ability to walk on water, which seems a bit miraculous to me. But they hadn't understood about the loaves. What hadn't they understood about the loaves? Well, remember the disciples are people like us. They failed, they didn't listen, they sometimes messed up, but they were people that God had chosen. Who am I? Who am I? One that God has chosen and made to be his own. Who am I? Who do you think you are? I'm one that God's chosen. And that makes me able to live the life that he has for me. What had they not understood about the loaves? Well, actually what he was saying to them was, look in your hand, what have you got? You know, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to see the size of the storm. You don't need to see the multitude that have no food. Look at, look at what you have, because I've made you to be Lord over the waves, to be Lord over nature. I've made you to take up the rulership position that I'd ordained from the beginning of time. When I made Adam, I made him to rule and subdue, to rule over the earth and subdue. And he messed up, but God has made us, because of his grace, able to take that position again. The ministry of, of, of Jesus continues with us. That's what we were singing about this morning, many of the things that we were, that we were talking about. Uh, I don't know if I want to show you that slide. Probably I do. Right, just to recap then. What started off the whole show? Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. I believe these are days where God wants us to ask him for greater compassion. The disciples saw the multitude and their lack of resource, but Jesus saw how to use what they had. God wants us, we talk about a can-do mentality. This is not, it sounds a bit like management speak, because it is management speak, but in the kingdom, can-do mentality is about realizing what God can do through us. That he who called us is faithful, and he will do it. The resource that they had was broken. The loaves were broken. But that meant that there were 12 basketfuls left over. And the bread, the breaking of this bread, showed a whole new source and supply 
for the kingdom of God. In these days, we're surrounded by people whose resources are drying up. In these days, we're, we're surrounded by a world whose banking systems are bust. We're surrounded by people that have put faith in certain structures and things that are no longer fit for what people have been using them for. When Jesus broke bread and gave thanks and he fed the 5,000 people, he was showing how we don't need to be governed by what we see in our hands because the resources of heaven are much greater than that. See, I take you back to this verse because if our mentality is keeping people happy, we will miss out on the miraculous because we'll never risk it. We'll miss out on, on, on doing this thing because actually we're, we're concerned that, well, if I do this and... and uh, they might not think the same of me as, as they do now. God's calling us to be like him, not to let circumstances dictate, but to be more open for him to use us fully. Do you see yourself inadequate to a task? Are you ill-equipped? Only got five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. Last night... Um, a group of us were at, um, at, my, at Isabel's primary school because it was Barley Lane Primary School's fireworks. And in the darkness, as we watched these rockets going up, I was looking around and I was trying to imagine what 5,000 people would look like. They get around about 2,000 people at that display, 2,000, 2,500 people. So as I looked around, it wasn't the best conditions to try and see a crowd on account of the fact it was dark. But as I looked around, I thought, okay, so I've got five loaves in my hand, and I'm going to give them enough, and I'm going to have 12 basketfuls left over. But I can't do it. Actually, God's saying, what I've called you to, you can. What I've given for you to do, you can do it. It may not be breaking bread at Barley Lane Fireworks, right? But whatever it is, don't look at your lack of supply. Look at the one who's made us to be different, to serve him, to be like him. Because his provision for us is the cattle on a thousand hills. There is no limit to his resource. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I'm a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, vapor in the wind. Still, you hear me when I'm calling, Lord. You catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours.
Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am yours, whom shall I fear? I am yours, whom shall I fear? Because I am yours. I am yours. Father, we thank you that, that we are indeed yours. And being yours, you stand behind us and you feel our heart. And that you know you hold us. You hold us in, in your arms. Lord, when we face things that we think we can't cope with, Lord, thank you that you are there. Thank you that you are our, you are, we are your concern. Every hair on our head is counted. You hold us close. Father, thank you. Thank you for that. We declare that we are indeed yours. Every day. Hallelujah. And we're going to come now to worship God again. I want to uh, bring a song. Um, I've got a video which might work if we're lucky. Um, it's called um, Life Song, which some of you might have come across. It's something written by or performed by Casting Crowns. Uh, who have written a number of songs that are quite powerful. Um, this particular song talks about the challenge there is for us to actually um, live our daily lives in worship of him. So we're going to move into some more praise and some more worship now, but um, what, I, what I feel we should be doing is Let's use this to launch into our time of worship so the worship band can, can begin to come back and, uh, and so on, so we're ready. But this is about our life song. You know, um, I was talking with Anthony on Thursday, and we were just talking about life and the universe and everything. And he said, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that we're all like instruments. When we are ourselves and we live the life that God has given us, then we make this kind of orchestral symphony. We're not all the same. Some of us are stuck as being a bassoon. Others of us are, are, are the cello. Some are the piccolo. But whatever voice God's given you, when we are what God has made us to be, the noise that's in his ears is our life song. And that's what pleases him.
So let's stand up together. Yes, Father, we're, we're calling out to you that as we're worshipping now, so out of our mouths will come the overflow of our hearts, of a life that we've laid down for you. Father, show us, show us how to let that life song come out more fully in these coming days. Hallelujah. Let's praise him. Thank, Thank you, Father. Father. 